Pondering the Bible. A deeper dive into the books of the Bible. Greetings and welcome to Pondering the Bible. I'm your co-host, Ken Corkins. And with me, as always, is my longtime friend and pastor, Rocky Ellison. Hello. This is going to be season 10, episode one. And as always, we pray that we're sponsored by the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, like I just said, season 10, which makes season nine really short. It was three <laughs> weeks long, but that's okay. Because we're actually going to jump into a whole new book starting today, and we've also hit the Advent season. So right. just to kind of pull all that together, uh, I just said, let's just pull a new season. I yep. mean, nobody really pays attention to what season is. Oh, I missed all of season nine. <laughs> but I just thought it kind of helps me keep track of where we are, yeah. different topics we've covered over the years we've been doing this podcast. <laughs> okay. So as I said, this is Advent, yes. and which is the season before. We're going to jump into the book of John. Now, John doesn't necessarily start with the birth of Christ like, say, the book of Matthew does. Right. So what does John have to say about the birth of Jesus? Here's a really interesting fact. Most people, like you just said, attribute Advent to the season of Christmas. Yes. It's the four weeks before Christmas where we get ready for Jesus to be born. comes from the Latin word Adventus. And technically, if you'll take a look through the liturgical readings and the liturgical calendar, Advent is waiting for the second coming of Jesus. Okay, I'll be signing off then. I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> technically, on the Christian calendar, Christmas Day, Jesus is born. And so we start tracking through his life. And by the time we get to the next December, he's gone and we're waiting for his return at the end of time. And technically, that's what Advent is supposed to be about. All of the waiting for the parousia, the second coming of Jesus. But I hate that. Uh, right. I need December to be a month of joy and cheer and encouragement and hope. So in our church, and I suspect in many churches, the whole month of December, all the four weeks of Advent are focusing on the arrival of Christ. Um, okay. Yeah, I know. I've, I've heard that. You're really not supposed to be singing Christmas songs, Christmas carols yeah. before, before Christmas, because as you just said, it's really not about the birth of Jesus. Every now and then this, I yeah. get my hand slapped for, for doing four weeks of Christmas carols prior to Christmas Day. That's not what you're supposed you to do. You will not have fun. Don't tell. So in our case, we're going to look at, at the arrival of Jesus as a baby. We're going to focus on Christmas, and that's what Advent is going to be. For okay. us. And this is also going to start, we're now starting the book of John. Right. We're going to start on John 1, 1. Mark is the first gospel that's written. Uh, it's written about 60 AD, somewhere, somewhere in there. And Mark says, the story of Jesus begins at his baptism. John the Baptist identifies him as the Messiah. The voice of God speaks out loud and says, this is my son. And the Holy Spirit visibly descends and anoints Jesus as Messiah. And that's where it all starts. So that's the beginning of Jesus. About 10 years after Mark, somewhere around 70 AD, Matthew and Luke are written. And they say, no, 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 no. The story of Jesus 
begins when he's born as a baby. This angel Gabriel gives us prophecy of his arrival, and he goes to both Joseph and Mary and gives them advance warning of of what's going to happen and how it's going to be perceived. And then Jesus is born in this this whole lowly, holy manger, and shepherds uh, are his only witnesses, and then angels in the sky proclaim his arrival, and, and eventually magi will come and worship the new king. That's where the story of Jesus begins. And John says, hold my beer. Hold my beer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> John says, story of Jesus begins at the beginning. And I mean the, the beginning. beginning. John is going to take us back to Genesis 1, chapter 1, and say that's where the story of Jesus begins. <laughs> okay, well, let's, do we want to jump into it? We're going to do verses 1 through 5 tonight. We're going, to, we're going to do this like we always do. We're just going to, from this point on, we're going to move verse by verse through the Gospel of John. It's been four years since the last time we, we covered John in our church, so we're starting back at the beginning. And so tonight is verses 1 through 5. I'm reading from the NLT. All of your translations will be roughly similar. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Amen. Okay. Now, I kind of have an idea on this, but I'm going to ask anyway. We just said this was about Jesus, but John uses the word, (laughs) John uses the word to represent what? What is the word? Who is the word? The word. Why does he use that instead of, in the beginning, Jesus was there? Yes. Right, straightforward, in your face. Right, that would be really obvious to you and me. John is writing, we say that Luke is the gospel to the Gentiles, Mm because Luke is a Gentile and he writes in a very Gentile manner. John's is the last of the four gospels to be written, and John is acknowledging that this is technically a Gentile church. When the Christian church was first formed after the resurrection, the expectation was that it would be primarily Jewish, Mm -hmm. and you might have, you know, one or two Gentiles here or there scattered at the church, and it would be headquartered out of Jerusalem, the holy city where God lives, right? Right. By the time John writes this gospel, somewhere around 90 to 95 AD, there are 100,000 Gentiles for every one Jew in the Christian church. So it is a Gentile church. And it is headquartered out of Ephesus, which is where John resides. These are his last days. This is where he's being kept. He has disciples he is training who are writing this gospel for him, and he's preparing. uh, He is the last of the original apostles. He's preparing for a world with no firsthand witnesses. And John writes this gospel to a Gentile church, which is completely unfamiliar with Judaism. They've never heard the word Messiah. Right. That means nothing to them. And so he's going to have to approach them in a brand new way about who this Jesus is. And so he starts off in the beginning, and he deliberately does that to hearken back to Genesis 1-1. He's talking about the beginning of 
creation when there was nothing but God. And he's going to say the word was there and the word was with God and the word was God. Now, in Greek, what he uses for word is the is the Greek word logos. Right. It's where we get the American word logo, which is a symbol right. for something else, right? If I show you the Nike symbol, you know what company that represents, and you know who that's a reference to. John is saying Jesus is the logo of God, only the word he uses is deeper than that. He doesn't use logo, he uses logos. It is deeper. One of the the authors that I worked, with, worked through on this, R.C. Sproul, says, the very thoughts of God, the mental intellect of God was manifested as something real. Hmm. So God is so holy and God is so pure. If you and I were to bump into pure God, we would just be incinerated because right. you and I are sinners. Right. And so we would just, we, the, the sin would just be burned out of us and we would be incinerated instantly. But God's thoughts and his mental intellect became manifest in a human being, but it's still God. That's what this word logos means in this context. So when you see Jesus, you are seeing God, but in a form that you can identify and in a form that's not harmful or fatal to, to mere sinners like you and me. So... John uses this idea right off of of what you are seeing in Jesus is God, holy God. Wow. Okay. So that's where his start is with the Greeks. Okay. Let's move on then to verses two and three together. Yeah. Two, he existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. Okay. So if God created everything... I'm going to jump deep, man. We got plenty of recording time. You ready? (laughs) We got six hours left on this. Okay, let's use it up. If God created everything, what about the Big Bang? How does that work? Yeah. And and let's jump even deeper. What about evolution too? I am famous for saying God is the creator of science. God is the author of science. So if science says the Big Bang and evolution are how how the universe was created and and how life came to be, then how dare I say God created it all? How does that all work? Or, or is is there any room for Christians and science to come it, it, together on this? This is a big question. Like you said, we could spend six hours yeah, easy. on just that thought. I'm going I'm to try and and really compress it down. There are some serious problems with the Big Bang Theory. Uh, the first question, the the first issue with the Big Bang Theory is it says all of the matter in the entire universe, everything in the universe that exists was all in this one place, in this one giant ball. That right off violates the second third law of thermodynamics, which is a physics law. If I spray air freshener from me to you, it's not all going to come together into one little tiny ball. It's going to diffuse throughout the entire room, right? Mm-hmm. It's never going to come together in one place. Everything runs down and and becomes more dispersed, not better. If we take uh, a pile of steel and leave it out in uh, the streets, it will not turn into a 2023 Cadillac. 
it's, it's going to just rust and degrade and become less and less and less. The second law of thermodynamics says that's entropy and everything operates under entropy. So first off, the Big Bang doesn't happen. All of the matter in the universe doesn't come into one place unless an outside force, an almost unbelievably large outside force, causes that to happen. So if you are adamant that the Big Bang is the correct way for creation to have happened, God must be present to have put all of that matter into one place and to have compressed it. Otherwise, science says that cannot happen. Mm -hmm. It takes the outside force, the size of God, to make that happen. The other big question is, Where'd all that stuff come from? Right. <laughs> There's an old joke I'm reminded of. Is it the scientist talking to God? Yes. I'm telling that on Sunday. Go for it. Tell it. Tell I don't know. Well, if you've read it recently, it's probably fresher in your head. I have to recall <laughs> it, but yeah. There's, there's a Latin phrase that we use when we talk about Christian uh, uh, creation. We call it ex nihilo, out of nothing. Right. We say that God created all of the matter that is from Nothing, absolutely nothing. And yeah, there's this great joke where a scientist comes up to God and he says, you know, we are so advanced and we've learned so much that we really don't need you anymore. I mean, we can um, create plants that, that have never existed before. We can alter the DNA in living animals. We can even create human beings. So we are as advanced as you are. We really don't need you. And God says, wow, that's really interesting. Tell me, how would you create a human being then? And the scientist says, well, first, I'd take a bunch of dirt. And God says, no, 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 no. That's my dirt. Make your own. Make your own dirt. <laughs> yep, that was the joke. <laughs> no. You got to make your own dirt, buddy. <laughs> Ex nihilo, out of nothing. Where did all the matter come from for the Big Bang? God created it. God is, is there, whether science wants to admit that or not. But let's say for the sake of argument that all the matter pre-existed and that for some reason it found its way into the Big Bang and it exploded. And now these 14 billion years that scientists can track and say absolutely scientifically did happen and then life on Earth can be proven to have evolved over millennia through the process of, of evolution, simple uh, life form to eventually to the complex life form of human. We can prove that. Your God has no room in any of that. Uh, in Genesis 1-1, which John is, is clearly alluding to, it starts off by saying, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. And evening passed and morning came, marking the first day. All right. That ancient Hebrew word day is the word yuma. And I hope I pronounced that correctly. Yeah, it's, a, <laughs> it's a tough one to say. Yuma. My ancient Hebrew is non-existent. And I am not an authority in ancient Hebrew, but there was a man named P.J. Weissman, he's, he's dead now, about two decades, who was worldwide acknowledged as the expert in ancient Hebrew, not just biblical Hebrew, but all of the Hebrew that we can track down anywhere from about 2000 B.C. up until the life of Christ. 
And P.J. Weissman says that word day, yuma, he says that can mean sunrise to sunset, daylight. Mm-hmm. Or it can mean a 24-hour period from sunrise one morning to sunrise the next morning, a 24-hour day. He says, but throughout ancient Hebrew literature, that exact same word also means a geologic era. An age. An age. It can be used to mean millions of years where something specific is begun and then walked through to completion. So if you are adamant that evolution is how humanity came here, then Genesis chapter 1 explains that in days of geologic or, or, or creation ages. And interestingly, what is presented in Genesis chapter 1 follows the exact same format that evolutionists say life came to be on the planet. So either Moses was outstandingly lucky and <laughs> guessed at exactly how life would evolve, or God told him, this is how I did it, and brought it about through evolution. The Big Bang would have been the biggest light ever produced in history. Mm-hmm. And that would match up with, and God said, let, let there, be, there light. be light. So. I myself am not a a believer in in the Big Bang or in evolution, but if that makes perfect sense to you, as long as you can still credit God with being the source and the author of the Big Bang and of the exact process that flows from that, you can still say God is the creator. In fact, it would not have happened if God had not caused that to happen. So... I'm willing to accept Christian evolutionists because none of us knows precisely how God created. You weren't there? No. No, neither was I. (laughs) So you you and I don't know exactly how God created the universe, exactly how God created life. If someone wants to, to say that Big Bang and evolution are how God did it, then I will accept that as a, a Christian viewpoint, but it's got to be God and Jesus, who are causing and manipulating the creation. For I myself, I think it was seven 24-hour days, and I think God reached down with his hands, grabbed mud from the earth, and created Adam in about 10 seconds. I think that's where humanity came from. Okay. But if you want to follow evolution, as long as you can, can attribute that to God, I'm willing to let you be there. There's a school of thought called creationism that tries to kind of merge the two right. schools, if you will, of thought that kind of put it like you did. Yes, it worked like this, but God was in control of it. Yeah. Kind of. I mean, that's way oversimplifying the whole thing. Yes. But, yes. But we're running out of disk space now, so we've got to move on. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So anything else on verses two and three? That was kind no, of deep. That's, all right. that's that's all we need to say about creation. Yeah. We just, it just happened. No, yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. Then. The point being, you and I are not an accident. No matter how we got here, we are intentionally and purposefully and wonderfully and fearfully made by God. Amen. All right. Then verses four and five. For the word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. 
Five, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Okay, so what is life and life? Those are two thoughts that are listed here in four and five. This is really interesting. There are actually two meanings for each of those words, the way John intends it. And this is going to be really typical of John. As we work our way through his gospel, frequently, one word is going to be used in Two, with two separate meanings that complement each other and, and expand our understanding of Jesus. And he's going to begin it right here in verses 4 and 5. Life and light are literal mm-hmm. the way they're written there, right? Life, there is no life if Jesus does not create life. If Adam is not made, there is no life. And if God does not speak light and creation into being, light, physical light, does not exist. Okay. But at the same time, there is a spiritual context to both of those, life and light. Jesus is going to say later in chapter 10, I came that you might have life and life more abundant. One of the reasons Jesus is here is not not just to save us from our sin, but to improve the experience of this earthly life while we are here. If you follow the teachings of Jesus, the life that you live will be so much better than the life you live without Jesus. Not if you listen to the naysayers. I, I <laughs> you know. hear that. that, that you know, <laughs> Jesus just wanted to ruin all of our fun. That's right. <laughs> but in fact, everything that Jesus teaches greatly increases quality of life. And if in fact you only get one life Shouldn't you live the best life you can so that for the rest of forever, you look back and go, what a great life. Man, did I have it good. Well, to do that, you have to follow Jesus. That's the best chance you have of loving the life you lived when you reach the end of this life. So when Jesus came to give life, it was to create it and to give it more meaning, more purpose, and to make it more fulfilling and rewarding. The other thing, the the second meaning of the other word is light. Yes, God created the sun and God gave us physical light. But light is also going to mean the presence of good and the understanding of good. That is light in the Gospel of John. Yeah, I was going to say that's a very Johnine thing is light versus dark, especially when you get into the letters from John. Yes. He's very much about the opposite. There's If you're walking in the light or if you're walking in the darkness, so he's always about that opposite And one of the things we're going to notice is that to John, darkness is an active force. Darkness is not just the absence of light. To John, darkness is an active opposition to God and to Jesus. Light sucker. Yeah. John (laughs) sees darkness as something that has force and, and and guidance and deliberately opposes the will of God. So it's not just that if there isn't God, then darkness fills it in. To John, darkness actively opposes light and and tries to stop the light, which is why verse 5 is really interesting. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish right, That's it. kind of active. Yes, yeah, that's, passive. that's darkness intentionally, willfully trying to put out the light. It's not just that dark is what happens when there is no light. In the Gospel of John, dark is is a palpable evil. Right, it's the opposite force, if you will, of light. Yes. 
very John and again. Yes. Very cool. Okay. Anything else you want to cover on this one? Nope. We've, we hit some pretty big ground. There's we plenty deep. for people to think about there. <laughs> yeah. Now that's deep. All right. So have you given a sermon title yet? Calling this one in the beginning. All right. Outstanding. Okay. So if you'd like to listen to the sermon that Rocky delivers, it'll be on our website at www.pondergmc.org. At the top is a mini called ministries. Click that, go down to sermons, look for the sermon in the beginning. And this will have been delivered on December 3rd. 2023. It's already December. It's December. Oh my gosh. Where are we going next week? We're going to start in verse six. As I said, we are just going to walk our way verse by verse as far as we can get through the gospel of John. When it comes to Palm Sunday and Easter, we will leave wherever we are and jump to the appropriate texts in the gospel of John. But up until that point, verse by verse. Rocking through it. All right. As we wrap this episode up, remember the famous words of Rose from the Golden Girls. My mother always used to say, the older you get, the better you get, unless you're a banana. <laughs> and with that, I think we'll close this episode. This is Ken Corkins and Rocky Ellison reminding you to love God and be nice to people. Thanks for tuning in. You can find us at www.pondergmc.org. There, you can watch our live stream services, listen to replays of Rocky's sermons, and find other interesting information about us. This has been Pondering the Bible.